Welcome to episode number 157 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We are recording on April the 10th, 2022. My name is Eric. I'm the host of the show based in Southern Ontario, hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and computer geek. Uh, as a first responder, I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events and started a small preparedness company to help people get better prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian. I'm a wannabe hermit on Vancouver Island. <laughs> I'm Scott, a first responder from Ontario. I like learning things, and I worry about our fragile infrastructure. And I'm Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, and general overall handyman. Hey, guys. I'm Brad. I'm in eastern Ontario. I've been in preparedness in some ways since Ice Storm of 98, constantly trying to better myself. And my name is Guy, Guy Chapman. Um, I was born in... Uh, someplace in Africa, Europe, or the Americas. My first language is English or French or something. I'm between 5767. My real name is Kolyas Vobodnik. I'm between 10 and 20 stone. Uh, Prep-wise, I like staying in great shape, practicing and competing in jits, practicing with the Thundersticks, and tending my couple of shady suburban acres. I've got about 2 million pet bees. And more to the point of today, I'm a crypto-anarchist and cypherpunk. I'm a lover, not a fighter. If anybody wants to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the tactical Velcro patch at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup, fuel, backup generator fueled. If you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. We want your feedback, good, bad, or if there's just a topic you want us to cover, just email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, we've got some uh, free and open source, or may I say uh, decentralized content for you in this episode. Uh, we're going to start off with some recent news, then we'll get into uh, what we've done recently for preps, and uh, then we're going to get into the main topic, crypto and uh, its benefits and or pitfalls. So let's uh, move into the news. All right, so we, uh, we've we stopped talking about the last pandemic, it's time to start talking about the new one. The uh, Canadian bird flu outbreak has uh, hit Canadian shores, so I guess it's been a thing in Europe and other places for a while now. But I guess they uh, they started hitting uh, East Coast farms and uh, via I guess migratory birds, and so yeah, they started to cull chickens on uh, mass throughout the states and in Canada a little bit so far now. But they're concerned about uh, the current supply chain issues being exacerbated by having to cull millions upon millions of chickens and. Also, egg shortages down the road. I guess Wisconsin was it Wisconsin? I think just this week just banned complete poultry sales: eggs, chicken, meat, everything. So oh. that's uh, not great. Jeez. Well, what happens wow. when it mixes with COVID? I guess then you get COVID. <laughs> sorry, bird flu nineteen. I don't know. Yeah, sure. they're, they're actually saying if, if bird flu actually would be harmful to humans and and transfer the same rate, it would just be like wildfire, be crazy. But anyway, so far it's contained to birds only. Um, it's here. Now, the other thing is, I actually had a couple other articles, but because this is all about me right now, um, I decided <laughs> to change it to a global news article, which uh, states that 30,000 people on eastern Vancouver Island were without power this morning, because normally we don't get snow outside of, like, January, February, but, uh, yeah, we got a snowstorm this morning, like, six inches of wet, goopy stuff, so it uh, knocked out the power stations all over the place here. 
uh, chaos resumed. A bunch of hippies started freaking out and, you know, had to put on like actual boots versus Birkenstocks. It was a mess anyway. So uh, actual six inches or an internet six inches? No, an so? actual six inches. It actually be an internet 12 then. Ah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was a bit of a mess for sure. And so I spent most of the day, like actually I had four trees down at my front gate. I had a couple like almost knock out coops. And so I was basically chainsawing until the power came back on. I was playing catch up with this. And then, yeah, that kind of messed up my whole day. So there you go. Yeah, you still made it for the podcast. Yeah, but it was good practice for the preps of what uh, what worked and what didn't. We were playing with our solar battery chargers and we were doing all sorts of fun stuff off grid. And um, the off grid uh, plans worked. So. Excellent. So I've got a couple. I know uh, one would be uh, certainly one that Eric would be highly interested in. It is World Amateur Radio Day on April the 18th. Um, so if you're, a, if you're a ham, get out there and uh, get yourself on the air. I've put a link in the show notes under the rack for it. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I might uh, try and get something set up for that. You can even get a nice um, uh, certificate on the wall for participating. Pardon? You can even get a nice certificate to put on your wall for participating in that. Well, you get a just, participation medal too. Wow. You, you, you just nice? have to make contact with a specific rack uh, designated station. Okay. Um, and on to, uh, we've, we've talked about this, you know, the last few episodes, but I think it, it's something that we just need to continue to bring forward is um, obviously uh Everybody knows what the war going on that um, Ukraine and, and Russia are a lot of the the wheat crops and, and that kind of stuff for that area. And um, they're basically saying that they're estimating that uh, Ukraine's uh, crop harvest will probably be at minimum cut in half. Uh, if not more than that, it depends on uh, how much they can get planted. Apparently some farmers now they can't even get seeds or they can't get fertilizer. And so it'll be, uh, I think it's going to be an interesting time coming up. Um, food shortages, I think are, are going to be a thing. All the big, uh, politicians are, are throwing out the, uh, the warnings. So, uh, it's not just a conspiracy thing on our part of it. So get out there and get your stuff now while you can. Well, Playing off the, uh, the problems in Ukraine, my article is talking about the Polish government having launched a guide uh, for how to survive a Russian invasion. Uh, lots of tips, including how to prepare for war, what to do if hostilities break out. Lots of the things we already talk about, food, water, first aid, that kind of thing. But sadly, it also includes topics like what to do if you're living in an invaded area, how to interact with foreign troops, uh, what to do if you've been taken captive, uh, it's a 36-page PDF, uh, all in Polish, but in the linked article, um, it has a lot of translations to uh, the text that uh, that's included. And it also talks about how a bunch of other countries have put this out, uh, this sort of thing out. In the past few years, Sweden had a, a fairly big one that went out. Um, so just these are some of the things we think about. So hopefully we have a head start. Does it mention anything about high school football teams running off into the woods to fight the Russians or anything else? <laughs> no, but the radio information is very useful. <laughs> right, Jack. So we'll, we'll see what happens on World, uh, World Radio Day, how many <laughs> Russian troops are uh, making contact. Oh, Weren't boy. they doing a bunch of jamming and stuff and uh, like uh, blocking ham frequencies and, and doing those shenanigans on the radio? 
Yeah, they're oh, yeah. finding the frequencies that the Russians were the open un- unencrypted frequencies, and they're blaring K-pop, heavy metal, and a couple of other like disco and stuff like that, mm-hmm. just just to make the frequencies completely unusable. Um, but that being said, uh, I mean the German intelligence service recorded a bunch of stuff from these frequencies that is now sort of being. Uh, added to the pile of evidence about some of the, the nastiness the Russians were doing. Um, so there are a couple articles talking about that where they're just, they're talking about their misdeeds on open source radio. So it's there for everyone to listen to. Guess you're not, That's not interesting. They're on how encryption works or something. <laughs> or they just well, frankly don't care. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. I just yep. don't think they care. A little bit of each. Yeah. Yep. Keep everybody guessing. Yep. Well, shall we uh, move into what we've done lately for preps? Uh, thinking about food shortages and stuff. I uh, got some Mylar bags and oxygen absorbers, and we got a great big bag of oatmeal, and we're going to divvy it up. We tend to eat a whole lot of oatmeal, so eat what you store, store what you eat. Uh, I'm trying to be good about digital backups uh, in case things get ugly and the internet becomes the next battlefield. Uh, make sure all my stuff is sort of well secured. Uh, I've been trying to charge my cell phone from a battery uh, at night rather than plug it into a great big long 10 feet uh, 10 foot long antenna slash convenient cord uh, just plug it into a battery uh, and I've been playing around with some different Faraday box uh, designs um, just sort of seeing what's working and what's not um, and it is such an interesting finicky little pain in the butt <laughs> thing to be playing with so um, you know kudos to uh our guest from a few shows ago, Dr. Bradley, who manages to make it look easy. So be mm-hmm. honest. Are you trying to build a wood gasifier version of Faraday box? <laughs> no, no. I'll just have the spare parts in the Faraday box. So, uh, you know, keep that. And, and obviously carbon monoxide detector. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> Nine minutes, 56 seconds. No, I won't have it. Carbon monoxide is a well-known conspiracy theory. I heard it on Alex Jones. It's covered up for the uh, interdimensional aliens' soul thieves. Okay, they steal the souls, and then the lifeless body is there, and so they just call it the CO poisoning. Yeah, I've heard it on Alex Jones. It's true. <laughs> oh, I can hear Alan freaking out right now. <laughs> but judging by Alex Jones' success rate on a long enough timeline, you never know. <laughs> Maybe the international, interdimensional space elves are a thing. Who knows, right? Like, are you suggesting they're not? Oh, well, just, I don't want to upset the lizard people that are, are watching either, but, you know, like, just saying. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All right, Brad, you're up. Um, I did a bunch of fuel rotation in the last week or so. Um, my daughter had her 12th birthday on Friday, so she tested out our, our new camper that we bought in January with her friends. They had their little party in there, and... Seems as everything works. Toilets flushed, lights come on, heater works, all that kind of stuff. Uh, started on some house projects for this summer, this spring. Took a bunch of uh, the extra generators that I managed to acquire last fall over to my brother-in-law. He and I are going to start to tackle those over the next few months and see which ones are salvageable and take some spare parts off of other ones and possibly sell a few to buy a better brand new generator. Nice. And lots and lots and lots of work. Every every day last week was up at 3 a.m. Gross. Oh, God. 
Yeah. Welcome to the life of a trucker. Mm -hmm. uh, I just uh, I did some food prep. I bought um, one of those food saver vacuum sealer things. I know, I know. I can hear Carmen screaming all the way over here. Just can it, damn it, just can it. But, you know, I, I've got that. I did up a bunch of uh, chicken and uh, ground beef and stuff like that and put it into smaller portions and threw it in the freezer. So, um, and that was about it for me for the week. Nice. Uh, for myself, I finished up my battery box project. So that was, uh, that was fun and you know, learned a little bit and zapped myself along the way, but that's just how you learn, right? So it works. It powers my radios. All's good. I may or may not have fried the odd solar charge uh, controller a couple times building the battery box. Just okay. saying. There's no better way to learn. You yeah. Don't do true. it a second time. Yeah. It allowed me to upgrade from the uh, the regular one to the MPTT version, which is, I guess, the uh, better version. Anyway. So really, it was just an intentional damaging. Yeah, I was just trying to upgrade my stuff on the slide. But anyway, uh, as for myself, yeah, so I continued while well, I was working, what, six of the last seven days, so I haven't really had time to do a whole lot. But I managed to do a supply run for some stuff for the greenhouse, like basically some foundation concrete bits and a tamper and a bunch of other stuff. Got it all in place yesterday and then woke up to the snow. So I was like, WTF, I'm not going to be working on that today. Um, so like I said, spent a bunch of time chainsawing, which means more wood for next winter. Um, while I was waiting for the power to come back on, basically here, and I was waiting for everything to rehappen, I started doing some chirp programming because boredom. You know, why not? Why so not? I was kind of rearranging my channel order and everything else to make sure it's more uh, standardized across all the handhelds and the, the truck stuff. Um, and then I did... A, optics upgrade by shopping on an as yet to be unnamed website <laughs> doing some transactions hmm. 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 yeah i can't say the word because then somebody's in market time so yeah right right yeah, anyway, yeah. That's we'll for me. yeah. are these yeah. transactions done with canadian currency or other types of oh. currency <laughs> well if i want to keep it on the slide i'd probably use a, a crypto or cash, but unfortunately, EGN doesn't allow those things. Oh, there it is. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Minutes, eight seconds. <laughs> oh boy. Well, now that we've got carbon monoxide and CGN out of the way, how about we move into the main topic, shall we? Yeah. So, right off the bat, guy, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into crypto. Okay. Um, well, I, with respect to myself, I got into crypto um, because I'm very interested in the philosophy of it. So I did not, I was not interested in it as an investment. I was not concerned about, it wasn't even really a prepping thing. I've been a prepper forever. But I got into it because, oh, excuse me, I got a bit of a thunderstorm here. I got into it uh, because of my philosophical concerns. And so... And I was going to sort of give a, a tour through crypto, through the crypto space and take questions as much as possible. I wanted to just pump the brakes on that for just, just a minute and go through, you know, what crypto really is in, in the general sense, in the specific case of Bitcoin and in others. So if, if I could just sort of hijack the, the thread for just a moment. Absolutely. Go for it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I've just got to get to my notes here. And I, I'm a bit of a crypto evangelist. I mean, I'm sort of a Satoshi's witness. I knock on people's doors, wear a suit and tie, 
Brother, brother Satoshi's witness. I like it. Brother guy, brother Satoshi. <laughs> my, uh, yeah, I'll do the whole bit. Okay, so the first thing in my notes here is the concept of liberty versus invulnerability. Okay, so liberty, the concept of like a search warrant, right? We are all protected because we've got these laws that say, oh, you cannot search my property without a search warrant unless you see someone in distress or you know, don't kick my door in the middle of the night without a piece of paper from a judge. Right? And that's, that's good. But in the case of digital privacy, we actually have opportunities to not rely on the beneficence of our rulers to to hold themselves back. You don't need to rely on them to not kick your digital door. And you can actually engage cryptography uh, yourself and make it impossible. Okay? So it's, uh, it's what we call, I don't know if you ever heard of something called an asymmetric algorithm. Does that mean anything to anyone here? Uh, nope. I may have heard of it once or twice. Okay. No problem. I'm going to go through a couple of these things. And I'm not trying to turn you guys all into blockchain developers and coders overnight. Right? But if you understand some of these base concepts, the utility of cryptocurrency expands drastically in your life. So an asymmetric algorithm is something that's easy to do one direction and very difficult to do in the other. So if I said, Ian... Um, 757,492 times 847,877 is this other long number, yada, 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 and it ends in a six. Okay, you would not need to compute that problem in order to tell me that I'm wrong. So it's hard to compute, but easy to verify, or in this case, easy to falsify, because you know that if a very long number which ends in a seven is multiplied by a very long number that ends in a two, the product will end in a four. Correct. So, and now this might, on, on a human scale, this might not seem like much, okay? But there are ways of scaling it up to make it even impossible for computers to go both ways using you know, prime, prime number factors and so on. Okay, so you guys know what... Uh, you guys know what a prisoner's dilemma is, right? Uh, no, I don't think so. It's, a, it's game theory. It's when you're trying to determine what independent actors will do if they're looking out for themselves. And the, the classic prisoner's dilemma is if you rat on, if Ian rats on Eric, um, you'll get you'll get ahead. But if Eric also rats on Ian, then you're both uh, screwed. Okay. So I'd just like to put something to you. There are some strategies that one may employ, not necessarily in game theory, prisoner's dilemma, where the strategy is robust. Okay, so I'm going to get out of theory and get into practice in just a moment. But a robust strategy is one that even if your opponent knows everything you've done, everything you've said, every word you've, you've typed, if your opponent can listen to your every phone call and knows exactly what your plan is, but he still is powerless to stop it. Okay, that is a robust strategy. And cryptocurrencies in particular, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations, 
uh, in a more general sense and blockchain in a much more general sense allow you to employ robust strategies to guard your privacy and to guard your wealth. As someone who is severely allergic to theft, whether you spell it with five letters or three, um, this is very important to me. So with respect to privacy, I've, I've listened to every episode of the show, and I know that a few of you are quite technologically literate. You employ some of your own servers. Perhaps you're running a freedom box. use password managers and so on. So you understand that privacy is a practice. It's not a service. You don't lead a private life by subscribing to Microsoft privacy account. Okay? You don't buy a privacy device and plug it in. Oh, we're private. No problem. No, privacy is a practice. It's a mindset. And um, so no matter what we say here, you still can't be, you can't go doing things like a moron and expect to remain private. Okay, there's, there's plenty of opportunities to break operational security. I've already done several of them tonight. But you're going to want to consider these before you engage in cryptocurrencies in a meaningful way. Okay, so that's it for the theory part. I'm going to get into the meat and potatoes of it. But if there's any questions, I'd like to hear them now. No, I think we're good. Yeah, okay. we're all good for the meat and potatoes. Okay, great. So a couple of episodes ago, you guys covered precious metals. And I really appreciate that because it's an excellent primer for cryptos. Not that they're equivalent, but it gets people thinking about what money is, money, currency, and so on. Okay, so... I know you guys sort of covered it in the history and then, you know, started with cowrie shells or, or large stones or, or whatever. And then everybody just deduced that gold is universally accepted and then silver. Yeah. Et cetera. So I won't go into that here. Okay. If you if somebody's clicked on a podcast that says cryptocurrencies, they've got some idea of what money is. Okay. Now, what is Bitcoin in particular? It is merely keeping track keeping score honestly okay so we could not we don't need to use bitcoin to keep score of who's got how many bitcoins we could use the gold in some stupid uh, dungeons and dragons uh, video game okay there's the one that, uh, people are addicted to it uh, what's it called there's uh, elves and, and such okay i don't i don't know world what it's called I, say again world of warcraft yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's the one, right? So in World of Warcraft, you've got the the sword of whatever and the, and the gold and and gems and I, I don't know. So we could all decide. You know what? We're going to use World of Warcraft money as to represent our value, and that's what we're going to trade on. But what are the problems with that? Well, easy to fake for one. Maybe, yeah, there could be some flaws in the programming which allows them to duplicate gold or other items of value. Okay, so that's that's certainly a problem. That's a technical problem. What other sorts of problems? It's a central. It's centralized within the World of Warcraft server that we don't have any control over. It's controlled right. by a single distant entity. Right, it's got the single right, and there's two there's two failed problems with that. One is its resilience. I mean, who knows? Maybe Blizzard Entertainment has backup server farms in Iceland and Santiago, Chile, in addition to wherever they are in California. But 
assuming even if they are resilient, there's a problem that it is centralized. And so if, uh, if we've all got our money in World of Warcraft and then Eric uh, says something uh, uh, racist against uh, trolls or elves or dragons or whatever it is, then Blizzard Entertainment may just decide to cancel his gold. They may just decide, you know what, we're not going to, we're not going to honor his account. In fact, we're going to delete it. In fact, we're going to delete it so hard that his computer will explode. Okay, so they could also decide, you know what, I like the cut of Jeff's jib because he said all the right things about uh, skeletons and uh, sea creatures. So we're going to give him uh, 50 trillion extra gold. And uh, as for you, Brad, uh, we don't like truckers anymore. So we're confiscating your gold. And uh, Scott, uh, we don't like people with long hair. So... Oh, no, we do. We do. So we're going to give you some, some gold and a sword of whatever. Okay, so there is one of the dangers of centralization is that there is an arbitrary um, ability of the centralized authority to grant to themselves or their friends whatever they want and to take away whatever they want from whoever. So this is where cryptocurrency comes in. Nobody can counsel you. Okay. There is no central, there is Satoshi Nakamoto himself has no more influence over the blockchain than anyone here. Are you able to touch quickly on who Satoshi is for those who don't know? Satoshi is God. Satoshi Nakamoto <laughs> is, a, is the pseudonymous creator of Bitcoin. Nobody knows if it was a he or a she. Uh, there are various theories, a few claimants to the the name perhaps it was nsa uh people it doesn't matter even if it was made by your worst enemy the nsa and mi6 and uh and the kgb and the chinese uh secret service a robust strategy they gave they gave it away okay you can inspect every bit of code and understand exactly what it's doing there's nothing there's no black box there's no component of it that is not inspectable by anyone uh, with the tools and the knowledge to do so. So with cryptocurrencies, nobody can be cancelled, no matter what they do. Now there are some. There is blacklisting of. There is blacklisting of addresses, and I'm going to get into that later. But there are ways, there are workarounds for that, and. Um, Nobody can just print more of it. You can't say, well, you know, I like Ian because he's got a, the beard, so I'm going to give him 85 million Bitcoin out of nothing. It does not work that way. So I'm, if anybody has any questions about how decentralized it is, I'm happy to answer them. Well, first of all, yeah, Darius mentions that uh, there's no scarcity in like World of Warcraft, whereas actually, I guess, with Bitcoin, there is a finite amount of Bitcoin, correct? That's right. Um, it is a logarithmic function. But the total Bitcoin that will ever be mined and the last mined block will be in, I believe, the year 2100, uh, it will never exceed 21 million Bitcoins. Okay, now, it is currently divisible into one one hundred millionth of a Bitcoin, a unit known as a Satoshi. But the Bitcoins themselves will never exceed 21 million. Now, Ian, you could download the entire blockchain yourself and you can say, well, I want there to be more than 21 million. So I'm going to make my new Bitcoins. They're going to be called Ian coin. And 
there's going to be 22 million because 21 is not a very nice number. And I'm going to maybe take a million of that extra million for myself. Well, whoever wants to go with Ian Coin can go with Ian Coin. And uh, whoever wants to stick with Bitcoin can stick with Bitcoin. And the market will sort of sort you out. Um, something happened with another great cryptocurrency called Ethereum. There was a, I don't even want to call it a hack. It was more of an exploit in the early days. And so uh, somebody managed to steal 50 million Ethereum, okay, by exploiting a weakness in the software. So uh, Vitalik, the, uh, the head of the Ethereum project at the time, he said, well, we're reversing history. They decided we're making, we're going to delete the last several transactions that occurred. We're going to wind black the clock and, um, and everybody will be happy. Now, some people are not happy, right? If in the interim of this guy stealing, if you had a legitimate transaction, you sold a, a Ford Mustang, then that transaction was also reversed because every transaction back to that block was reversed. But people vote with their feet. And so, the blockchain split into two. There was Ethereum Classic, where they did not turn back the clock and reverse those transactions. And there was Ethereum, where they did. And if you look at, i look it up briefly here. Uh, the price of Ethereum is $3,205 per Ether. And the price of Ethereum Classic is $40. Okay, so the market has spoken, and it seems that most people preferred the version where they turned back the clock. Now, it could be the next time something like this happens, most people will prefer the original. Okay, so nobody is compelled to use Ethereum Classic over Ethereum, uh, the new Ethereum. Okay, and this lack of compulsion is what allows the strongest blockchain to continuously beat all the others in the race. Okay, Bitcoin is worth the most because the most people believe in Bitcoin. There have been thousands of, of forks of Bitcoin. Most of them are total garbage. But the ones that are the most successful actually have some value associated with them because people see the merits of it and they start to purchase it. If there's no demand, it's worth nothing. So that's all, all the crypto managers to do, particularly with Bitcoin. There are other cryptos that have more abilities. But all crypto does is it keeps score honestly. You cannot cheat it. You cannot conjure up more Bitcoin from nothing. There is, it solves the problem of digital scarcity and frangibility. Fair enough. Yeah. So I guess before we get going too deep on it, maybe we should just cover off some basic terms there. Uh, Eric, you had some stuff to make sure people know what we're talking about. Yeah, I was just going to ask if uh, maybe you could just cover off some common lingo. Uh, we should all know things like um, altcoins, uh, KYC, NFTs, uh, that sort of thing. If there's any common lingo that uh, the listeners should be aware of. Absolutely. Okay, so to start at the base, the word blockchain. Has anybody here heard blockchain? 
Yeah, I think there's a, the the state of the technology basis for uh, uh, cryptocurrencies is also technology used for other purposes as well, is it not? That's right. And so blockchain is where it all started. That was um, that was Satoshi Nakamoto's brilliance. Now he actually got it from somewhere else, but we won't get in. We'll just say he got he, you know, it is his idea. So all cryptocurrencies on a blockchain. And what that means is that there are many computers all around the world who are synchronizing this blockchain and they all have to agree as to the precise state of the blockchain. So if they disagree on which transaction is true, then it is the longest chain that takes precedence. And that is how they make it impossible to double spend, impossible to copy and paste more bitcoins. You know, you're not taking a photograph of a $20 bill and emailing the picture to your friend and then promising not to spend it on your end. So, um, now you guys have probably heard of the term mining. Uh, yep. Um, yep, definitely have, yep. Okay, there's a few different ways that um, Bitcoins are generated. Well, not Bitcoin is only generated via mining, but other cryptos are generated in other ways. Bitcoin is a proof-of-work cryptocurrency. So your computers have to do sort of useless math problems in order to find the find a solution to an arbitrarily hard problem in order to get the privilege of posting the next block to the blockchain. Now, it's totally ineffective to do this by yourself. You have to be in a pool of thousands, and then that betters your odds, and it evens out your returns versus your power consumption costs. I can get into mining a little bit later. I mean, my houses are run on Bitcoin mining. My houses are heated by Bitcoin mining. I'm a bit of a plumber, a bit of a sparky, bit of a, you know, a bit of everything here. So, mining. I mean, it's not expensive. You, you see these these pictures of oh, there's mining farms. It consumes a tremendous amount of power. It's not. If you're heating anything with electricity right now, you can easily, if you understand a little bit about plumbing and electrical, you can set that up so that you are mining, and using the waste heat from mining in order to heat your home, heat your hot tub, heat your pool, uh, whatever it is you want to get hotter. But I don't think we'd want to go that far off the deep end on <laughs> into the weeds on this. We probably stick with the, the basics on this. Yeah. We always so, come back for a second episode on this too. So, right. Okay. So, um, mining. So what are the other terms that, that, uh, jump out at you that you'd like to, to understand better? How about altcoin? You hear that quite a bit, uh, when you start looking into cryptocurrencies, you, most right. people start looking at, at uh, Bitcoin and all of a sudden you hear altcoin. Maybe you can get into that quickly. Right. So that depends who you're talking to. Um, altcoin can mean any coin that is not Bitcoin. Right. So your Litecoin, your Ethereum, your Dogecoin, um, Shiba Inu coin, there's only about 300,000 altcoins. Um, to most people, altcoin is you sort of stay within the narrow range of coins that actually have some activity on the blockchain and where you can actually sell. So there's about a dozen or so altcoins that are actually worth something, and most of them are worth nothing. And they're not worth nothing objectively. Maybe they're better than Bitcoin. Maybe they're, they're more secure. Maybe they have other features that um, are more impressive than Bitcoin in some other way. But for whatever reason, nobody's buying it, nobody's selling it, so it's worth uh, a donut. So my favorite altcoins, I sort of look at the big uh, the big seven, 
I mean, there's Bitcoin. There's a, another one called Z, a Zcash or Zcash uh, that is much more private than Bitcoin. Um, Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, those have, um, those have use cases um, far beyond mere financial transactions. There is Monero, which is uh, very privacy-focused. Dash, which is also privacy-focused. And there is also Litecoin, which was sort of uh, meant to be a knockoff of Bitcoin. It is essentially the same protocol as Bitcoin running on a different algorithm, but it uh, works essentially identically to Bitcoin except faster. And coins that are not on that list, I would not, uh, I would not spend uh, too much time on it, but I'm not here to dispense financial advice. There's also a stable coin and a privacy coin as well. Yes. Well, if you're talking stable coins, I mean, there is Tether, US dollar Tether. Um, that's going to be verging into governments are going to try to jump on this. Every government wants to control this thing, and every one of them will fail. Um, have you guys heard of something called the CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency? That is going, that is going to be every government's attempt. They're going to call it a cryptocurrency. Every government is going to come up with something, and they're going to say, "Ah, oh, this is just like Bitcoin. You buy this, you get rich. This is uh, the future." And they're going to people are going to get sucked into this. It's got nothing to do with cryptocurrency. It might have some sort of a corrupt blockchain, but they will, of course, not let it be a genuine decentralized blockchain. Every government is highly motivated to retain control. So they want to be able to delete your bitcoins, and they want to be able to steal them and give them to themselves or their preferred uh, uh, people. They're going to be able to cancel you. They're going to be able to conjure up new uh, CBDCs. Uh, new, uh, you know, they're going to make more billionaires in Zimbabwe. Okay, the, the central government digital currencies—they uh, have a veneer of respectability because they will have some features in common with Bitcoin, but don't be fooled. Uh, the banks don't even like them because it's going to make every bank, except for the bank of, in this case, Canada, totally irrelevant. So, yeah, I'd don't touch those. I wouldn't touch a CBDC with a 10-foot pole. Well, even Lister Terry there, uh, the author Terry Blackmore, says uh, that he was worried about CBDCs becoming a thing and then tied to a social credit system, which, like he's mentioned, as soon as you make the wrong move, they could try and cancel your... your uh, government in-house currency, which is part of the problem, right? Precisely. Now, part of the solution is the fact that genuine cryptocurrencies being decentralized are going to be more attractive and more valuable. Now, CBDCs, the government will say, oh, no, you've got to use this to pay your taxes. Or you've got to do it's going to be like uh, East German Deutschmarks. Now, because, oh, no, these are just as good as the, as the West German Deutschmarks. Yeah, except uh, you, you got to buy them for 1,000 to 1. Okay, so that it's not going to be what they think is an asset is going to be a liability with respect to price, and unless they try to just uh, sign a law that no, no, the the price of our thing is is this by fiat, then we're just down the same fiat uh, greased hill that we are with the dollar. Oh, interesting. Uh, how about uh, know your customer or KYC? That's something you see quite often as well. Yes, I'll be quite happy to um, share strategies for defeating KYC. 
And so KYC is, yeah, it stands for Know Your Customer. And this is where people need to understand a custodial wallet versus a non-custodial wallet. As a Bitcoin evangelist, I, I talk to a lot of people. I say, oh, yeah, I heard of Bitcoin. So, oh, yeah, I've got the Bitcoin. I've got it on um, on uh, Coin uh, CoinDesk or Bitmax or some. I've got an account with my or my bank has a Bitcoin fund, and I've got this many Bitcoins. So, oh, yeah. So, if you want to, if if you wanted to pay me in Bitcoin for this car, how do you? Uh, oh, well, I don't. I'd have to talk to my bank, and my bank knows everything about. So, they're really missing out on the crypto part of cryptocurrency. They might be making some money on the invest on the speculative investment, but they're really missing the point. So, anybody who's got an account with Binance, you had to give them your information. Okay, you had to give them your email address. You had to give them I don't know. You had to upload a photograph of your driver's license or social credit number or, or something. Those are. It's really defeating the crypto side of cryptocurrencies. Now there are some very easy to use non-custodial wallets software um, I'll, uh, I'll place a couple of them in the show notes and maybe you can put them in the description of the podcast but these tools won't be around forever there's one called Coinomi uh, which is available on mobile and desktop there's another one called Garda Wallet very easy to use you can download them on Mac and on Apple and, and all of these and right now, for now, there's no know your customer. You don't need to set an account. You're not logging in. You're running software locally on your phone. But eventually, the governments of the world will lean on Apple. And they say, oh, you cannot have uh, Mr. Tim Cook here. You cannot have cryptocurrency wallet programs on your phone without any know your customer. You're going to have to, to put something. You have to get a thumbprint from these people or something. You're gonna have to, and so eventually those apps will not be available on the App Store, and you'll have to use them in development mode, or you have to, you have to get into some other, some other format of foam, or using hardware wallets or cold storage. So it's still a battle, and the battle is not yet won, and you're gonna have to stay one step ahead of the coercive forces of government trying to get a hold of your coins. Is that what they're talking about? They say a custodial wallet, meaning like, is that the difference between a cold and a hot wallet? Or is that... Uh... No, not at all. Um, a custodial wallet means you've got an account with... Um, I'm trying, I mean, I don't use these exchanges for that reason. One of them is called uh, Coindesk, I think. Oh, oh, don't quote me on that. There's Binance, oh, Binance is one of them. So uh, you've Coinbase, got an account... I think, is another one, right? Right. So if you've got an account with Binance, they are holding your coins. They have the private keys. Now, we're so used to that because we're used to banks where, oh, if you want your money, I call the bank. They've got it in some sort of a vault. They've got big piles of money and Scrooge McDuck can go diving in it or something. And they've got gold bars. And you're, you're used to that sort of thing. But the whole point of cryptocurrency is you are your own banker. Coindesk or Binance or any of these exchanges, they don't have a privileged position on the blockchain. Okay, They just have sort of gone with people's comfort level of using a big site they want to oh i want to be able to phone this 1-800 number if i if i lose my password i want to talk to somebody in india to get uh, to open my account again okay if you're using a non-custodial wallet okay that's a wallet where you hold the keys there's no 1-800 number to call okay if you lose your password you're um 
well, you know, you're, you're effed. Okay, but I mean, we're grown-ups here, right? We take some responsibility. Right? If you lose your gold bars, right? if, if they drop to the bottom of the sea, you're just as effed. Okay, so a custodial wallet, anybody who says, oh, I've got Bitcoin, I'm invested in it. I've got a Bitcoin account. Don't worry, man, I'm, I'm on it. Uh, if, if they are, if, I mean, I, I don't mean to disparage these people, but they're really missing the point. That's right. Uh, Darius Kater, compare it to precious metal storage. If you have a company, uh, that's the same thing. You know, you talked about the oversubscribed gold. Now, Bitcoin, I don't know to the extent to which anything would be oversubscribed if you've got access, because you can actually inspect the blockchain. But when push comes to shove, right? If uh, Justin Trudeau's uh, stormtroopers, if they, you know, kick in the door, where somebody's running an exchange and they say, we want to know, we want to know who this Eric guy is and uh, we want his private keys. Okay. We want to see uh, what exactly he's got and uh, maybe we want to take it or we want to freeze it or we want to do this or that. They're not going to say no, but with cryptocurrencies, you can be your own banker. You don't need anyone's permission. And if you want, at the end of the episode, I can do a quick step by step. It works on Apple or Android and show people how fast they can get up and running and moving coins around and trading and whatever they want to do without anybody's permission. They'll never ask you for your real name or you don't even need a username. You're not logging in. You're running software yourself. Yeah, that might be, uh, be useful for people that actually want to get into this. So yeah, we can definitely do that at the end of the show. Yeah. When I'm doing my Satoshi's Witness I mean, I go to flea markets, I go to farmer's markets, I talk with every single store, I say, yeah, I want to show you how to use Bitcoin, I'm going to buy this from you, I'm going to pay with your cryptocurrency here, and I show them, I get them on the phone, and I, here it is, and I, I download an app for them, and I say, okay, you don't, don't forget this password, because if you do, you're, you're, you know, this is not going to be good for you, and then I send them, I usually use, uh, I don't use Bitcoin, I use something a bit fast, I use Litecoin or Dash or something, and I buy some apples, or I buy some some organic kale or something, and they say, wow, that was fast. Yeah, that was fast. If you were signing up with Moneris or Visa or MasterCard, I mean, they, they, well, the house two weeks from next Thursday will get you set up. It'll take you, uh, we need a $10,000 deposit, and we take 2.5%, and we take a transaction fee, and you can get your money uh, maybe uh, every three months, and we'll report every cent we, we give you to the government, and they'll take the fair share. So it's uh, it's really no contest. I can get you up and running, Bitcoin, Litecoin, whatever, in about three minutes, and you're just as capable of using the blockchain as anybody who's running one of the great big exchanges. Awesome. Well, we're talking about uh, passwords and such. Uh, can you touch maybe a little bit on seed phrases? I know you'll be asked those if you're making your own wallets. Yeah, seed phrases. Now, I don't actually employ seed phrases. Um, just because I've got, I've got hard copies of my private keys in a different way. And for operational security, I don't, um, I don't expose those, um, my, I don't expose my particular strategies for keeping those away. But seed phrases, um, is actually one aspect of cryptocurrency that I'm not, I'm not very current on myself. Right, no problem. We can move on then. Um, Let's see. So fees of cryptocurrency, what kind of fees can we expect when we're sending 
uh, Bitcoin or any of the like the altcoins? I know it'll vary between the altcoins and Bitcoin, but I guess we'll start out with: is there fees, and and what can we maybe expect? Absolutely. So the the great thing about cryptocurrency fees, and of course I'm not talking about service fees that uh, an exchange might charge to to change from Bitcoin to dollars or or something, but there are fees built into the network. And the great thing about the fees is that they are exactly what they should be. And what I mean by that is that you can choose how much fee you want to pay on a given transaction. You can choose a very low number. You can even choose a very round low number. And your transaction could take forever. Or you could say, you know, I want this transaction to go really quickly. You know, there's this Russian gangster to my got a gun to my head. There's a big pile of cocaine over here and there's guns over there and gold bars and whatever it is. So you can actually increase the fee and that will probably be posted on the next block. Now, where do the fees go? They don't go to the monopoly guy with a monocle and top hat or bowler hat. They go to the miners. So the block subsidy, which is currently uh, six and a quarter Bitcoin, whenever somebody finds a block, they get the six and a quarter Bitcoin plus they get all of the transaction fees associated with that block, which... A block holds about 2,048 trans, 2,048 trans, I can't remember. It holds a lot of transactions and each one of those transactions has some minute quantity of Bitcoin. So you're going to be looking at probably 0.00, about 0.01, not point zero. yeah, somewhere around $10. Okay. If you want to get your Bitcoin, so don't, don't do Bitcoin transactions for coffee and donuts. Okay, there is second layers. There's a lightning network that can take care of that in a much more efficient manner. But for now, Bitcoin transactions, you'll be looking at approximately the equivalent of $10. Now, if things are moving too slowly, the natural forces of supply and demand will dictate that people will start to increase their transaction fees, which means more people will be incentivized to mine. Things will move more quickly then people will start to say, well, you know, things are moving plenty fast. I don't need to pay so much. And so people will start to lower the transaction fees. Fortunately, most wallet software sort of observes the ambient level of transaction fees for posted transactions on the blockchain. And most wallet software will sort of recommend to you a, a transaction fee for that particular transaction. And so that way you're not, you know, I mean, you can do it manually, I don't recommend it if you don't really completely understand the space. So I would just go with what your wallet software is sort of dictating. Okay, so being somebody who knows absolutely almost nothing about Bitcoin, so if I bought something from somebody for $20, uh, the, the Bitcoin version of $20, um, I'd be paying a $10 fee on a $20 transaction. Is that kind of what? what I'm sort of understanding there. So I'd not recommend that you use Bitcoin for a transaction of such a small um, value. It would be better to use another, I am mean, I don't make financial, you know, I don't dispense financial advice, but it would be better to use a faster, a faster cryptocurrency like Litecoin. Litecoin's block time is two and a half minutes which means that on average, a new block is posted every two and a half minutes. So it essentially can take four times the volume of Bitcoin and the fees are lower. So for coffee and donuts, Litecoin, Dash, Zcash or Zcash, those are probably your best bets. 
now for buying a car, which uh, between the six of us, at least one of us has for buying a car with Bitcoin. Uh, that's fine because you don't mind if the transaction takes an hour or two to completely resolve and be confirmed. But for coffee and donuts or just buying a something at uh, at the farmer's market, yeah, Litecoin, Dash, Zcash, those are the ways to go. Okay, good to know. And then with those uh, with those altcoins you're talking about, there's still transaction fees, but they would be significantly less than uh, than Bitcoin would be, is what you're getting at there. Is that correct? In some cases, I mean, the transaction fees on Ethereum blockchain has actually gotten quite high, uh, particularly for the NFT projects. So it really depends. You've got to look at it. But you've also got to find something somebody will take, right? Not everybody wants to take gold. Not everybody, Some people want gold and they don't want silver. Some people want platinum and they don't want gold. It's the same thing with crypto. Some people have a preferred crypto. Some people are ecumenical with, with respect to cryptos. So you've got to do a deal and... and in something that you are willing to give them and they are willing to take. Fair enough. Maybe we'll get into the question that I'm sure pretty much every prepper has at least asked themselves once when they're looking at, to get into crypto is, uh, isn't it worthless in a, uh, a shit hit the fan type of scenario? Or uh, can you maybe help debunk that a little bit? Okay. So if it depends how much shit has hit the fan and whether or not the fan is running. So, if, I mean, if this is a 14-hour solar flare and no computer on this planet will survive, then yeah, yeah, crypto is kind of bunkum. Uh, the concept of the blockchain is not bunkum. It's, 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 it's a new law of physics, right? You, you, can, you can still reestablish it maybe 100 years later when you've got transistors going again. But no, yeah, the, um, at that point, I mean, you better be good with a spear. Right, like don't don't sit here listening to podcasts if if this is you know like, if it's that bad, yeah, yeah, you better sharpen the stick and you know get get moving. But no, if uh, it depends how much it is hit, how much fans. I mean, without the internet, aspects of the blockchain can be can be run in ad hoc networks. I mean, now we're going to be going into a bit of a into the weeds about mesh networking and. And establishing local networks and so on, and then they can the blockchain can fully resolve itself when a larger copy of it. But to give you an example, last year uh, the government of the People's Republic of China banned Bitcoin mining again. Ooh, very scary! Uh, they said uh, oh, no more mining in our country; it's a waste of electricity. Blah 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 blah. I think they also bought a bunch. I think they bought the dip those bastards. Anyways. They banned mining. So the global net hash went from, uh, I want to say, 200, 180 exahash down to about 80 exahash because a, a large proportion of mining was happening in China. But within a few weeks, it was back up uh, to 160. Now, what those numbers mean is that the total number of people contributing to the security of the network, the total number of people mining, because they're not just mining, they're not, you know, whacking at the bits to try to get some money here. The, the fact that they are doing these useless problems make it that much more difficult for the blockchain to be compromised. So they're performing a service, and that's why they are rewarded. Those people, the amount of people mining, the amount of hashing power, recovered quickly after China essentially shut down mining. So even if a large proportion of the internet was destroyed, um, you only need one. You only need one full node. I mean, it would be better if there's more. But eventually, these things will reconnect, 
and the grid will sort of mend itself into some semblance, but probably with connections running in different directions than before. But it will heal itself, and as long as somebody somewhere is still running a full node, and there are something like you know, 600,000 people running nodes, full nodes, in every country on the world except North Korea. So as long as, and they're probably running some, you know, on the sly themselves. So as long as somebody somewhere is still running a full node, the network survives. That's pretty straightforward so far. <laughs> um, I guess the, the, the one thing right off the bat, I guess, is... Uh, with the price volatility of, of crypto, actually, we should back that up right off the bat. Uh, just take it to a really high-level, easy question. Um, how do you buy it in the first place? Uh, example, like, you know, you have a, a wad of cash. You want Bitcoin or, or Dash or anything else. How do you actually convert one to the other? Like, simple as answer as you can get it. Okay. So, you got to get um, your plague mask and a bulk up. Okay. And you... Type into Google or DuckDuckGo, Bitcoin ATM in my area. You will find one, perhaps walking distance. Perhaps you have to drive a bit, ride your bicycle, maybe even fly a plane. You take your word of cash into the corner store or whatever place this Bitcoin ATM is in. Now, you don't take all of your cash. You take some small quantity of it, maybe $80, because who knows? Maybe this is a fake. Maybe this is a scam. I don't know. So take $80. Wearing your Groucho glasses and your toque and your dark sunglasses and your plague mask because you're also concerned about the coof. And you go up to the machine. Now, the machine is going to be looking at you. It's got cameras. And it's going to say, do you want to buy or sell? Today, we're going to buy. So you say, I want to buy. And then it's going to probably say, because of KYC, it's going to say, all right, then give me your mobile number. And so you open your phone. And you go to one of those receive SMS for free sites. I'm not going to tell you which one, but there are plenty of them. Or you go to silent.link and you sign up for an eSIM, pay with Bitcoin. So you've got another identity, another mobile number. You say enter your mobile number. You put it in. It will send a text message saying, oh, this is your six-digit PIN to confirm your identity. So I put it in. Boom, boom, boom. So don't use your real mobile phone. They get you, right? This is to be totally clean. Okay. So you enter your the six-digit pin from your phony SMS and it says, okay, great, great to meet you. Now, how much would you like to buy? And you take those bills and you start feeding them into the machine. And there's going to be a little number that will increase as you put more money. And once that uh, you've put all the money you feel like putting in, you're going to say confirm transaction. Now, at this point, it's going to say, well, where, which wallet do you want me to send it to? So you're going to take your mobile phone and open up your open source wallet software, or you're going to have printed up your public key on a piece of paper in the form of a QR code. And you're going to flash that in the scanner or the camera portion of this Bitcoin ATM. At which point it'll say, okay, you want to send this much Bitcoin to this wallet address. And you're going to press yes or confirm or okie dokie or whatever it is. And then it will say, okay, confirmed. It will print you a receipt. Now, this receipt is not your wallet. A friend of mine made that mistake. He thought he had 
He had this receipt. He kept it in his wallet for years, in his in his physical wallet. He said, I've got all this Bitcoin. This is great. I, I bought Bitcoin in 2013. I bought a whole bunch. And this is, and then I said, oh, where's your Bitcoin? He said, right here. And he showed me this little piece of paper, and it has a transaction ID. But he did not have the private key. So that Bitcoin is gone. So don't make that mistake. Buyer's remorse. So you're going to see that it's got, you know, you want to double check that your wallet address is correct on the machine. You hit confirm. It's going to print out the receipt and to say thanks for doing business with Badger Coin or Local Coin or whatever brand name it is. And then you can keep checking your wallet. You won't see it until a few hours later because those sort of transactions will not be completely posted until they've been confirmed by 100 blocks. I won't get into precisely what that means, but it is not instantaneous. Okay, so some sometimes people say, I, I put in $300 into this machine and my money's gone. I got no Bitcoin. What What's wrong with you? And as it turns out, no, it takes a little while for it to be confirmed. But later that day or perhaps next morning, you will see, oh, now I've got 0 0.001 uh, Bitcoins at this wallet address. And so now that you've seen, okay, well, it didn't just eat my $80. Maybe you'll trust that machine with a bit more. Okay, I'm not going to recommend that you take $10,000 in cash to one ATM that you've never seen before. Shady ATM in a shady convenience store in a shady part of town, probably not a good idea. But it's not a good idea to do that for anything. But that is how you get Bitcoin from your cash into your wallet. And nobody knows you've got it and you can do whatever you like with it. And transferring from one crypto to another, uh, same idea, just as easy as uh, but it's all done online. Now, if you're talking from one wallet to another wallet of the same cryptocurrency, that is easy as pie. You just have to pay a transaction fee. And if you've got no regard for how long it's going to take, then you can keep a very, very low fee. If you want to trade, say you want to trade Bitcoin for Monero, because the cool guys are using Monero, well, then... There are decentralized exchanges, which are completely automated. One of one such exchange is called Uniswap. And most, uh, most wallet software would be capable of interacting with Uniswap. And so again, you're not signing up for an account somewhere. You're not entering your information. You're just going to be, essentially, it puts out an anonymous bid. So I want this much Monero for this much Bitcoin. Now, of course, your wallet software, if it's good, it should be checking the going rates so it will not you cause you to put up a bid that is um, totally unrealistic. And then somebody who has requested Bitcoin from Monero for approximately the same amount will be able to uh, reciprocate that transaction uh, without any effort. And then you've traded Bitcoin for Monero. Pretty much every... Wallet software, including the two that I mentioned earlier, Coinomi and Garda Wallet, are capable of managing several different types of cryptos. So my, I'm, if I look at my Garda Wallet on my spy phone here, um, Apple spy phone, it's got, uh, I don't know, 40 or 50 cryptos. And generally, it can be other wallets that are not technically supported can be imported into it without much effort. But if you're just sticking around in the sort of the blue chip, you know, Bitcoin and the main, the big seven altcoins, it's not going to be a problem. That's pretty good. So oh, your next question is to get cash from Bitcoin, yeah? Sure. Okay. 
That's it. How do I get this into cash? Okay. So, and every, that's fine. Everybody asks the same thing. So, the I mean, the very best way to get Bitcoin from cash is actually not to use an ATM. It's to find somebody who wants cash who's got Bitcoin. And then you can do a completely peer-to-peer transaction, right? Preferably someone you know and love. But And that's, of course, the best way to get cash out of Bitcoin. Say, so, yeah, I've got this much Bitcoin. I'll transfer it to your wallet. Once you see it, you give me the cash. You've got a deal. Now, you don't want to do this with someone you've never met, but uh, someone you trust, you can do it. Now, if you want to get Bitcoin, if you want to get cash, I almost said Bitcoin cash. That's an altcoin, yeah. If you want to get Bitcoin into cash, a lot of the ATMs, a lot of the Bitcoin ATMs are capable of performing the same transaction in reverse. Except usually you have to go online to their website and you have to perform the transaction on their website first and then you get and then you can redeem it at one of the ATMs because they will not dispense the cash until a certain number of confirmations have occurred for that transaction. So there'd be a bit of a wait in one. Yeah, so that, that makes That's sense. That's right. Yeah, you do it at home. You can go on your website, you know, localcoin.com or localcoin.ca or badgercoin.com. They have ATMs all over Canada, well, all over the, the urbanized areas of Canada. And then there you can say, I want $400 cash or that. And you have to send us this much Bitcoin with this much transaction fee. You send it and then it'll give you as, or it'll be confirmed by this time. And then you can take that transaction ID and you sort of do the reverse of what you did previously. But you still have to maybe do some KYC BS with your BS mobile number. And then you can um, you scan that transaction ID and the machine will dispense uh, portraits of Queen Elizabeth II. So with the, the price of Bitcoin being the way it has been like over the course of the last decade, you know, it's gone way up and it's gone down a bit. Like overnight, you could lose a lot of money type of thing. Uh, do you think that's, that's going to stabilize over time or is it going to stay fairly volatile based on like worldwide economies and everything else? Or do you see it becoming less of an issue? Well, I think that over time, uh, the one direction it's going to go is up. But um, I don't dispense financial advice. Bitcoin has been good to me. Um, it has features that would make it inherently more stable. And when I say stable, I don't mean the value will be unchanged. I mean it's, it won't be effed with by anyone. That sort of stability. Nobody's going to, uh, what did they say on the other CPP, a money printer go burr. And no one's going to do that. Right? Uh, no one can. There's nobody, nobody's got, the, there's no master switch. Right? There's no, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if, you're, if your first name is Klaus or Justin or Bill Gates or who, whoever it is. There's nobody who's at the top of this thing. So no one's going to, to corrupt it. Um, there are plenty of, there's plenty of motivation to. I mean, people have tried. Uh, but the amount of computing power that you would need in order to hijack the blockchain is such that you'd be better off just putting that computing power towards mining because you'll make more money than stealing Bitcoin. A quick question about mining too. You mentioned the fact that they won't mine the last one until 2100, but if it becomes into more widespread use, will they not like run out of Bitcoins to award for mining? Uh, meaning, like, I guess my big question is what happens when they run out of the 21 million 
and there's no more service fees to be awarded to the miners. Oh, the, well, so there's two parts of, of what the, how the miners are paid. There's the block subsidy. Okay, so the block subsidy started at 50 Bitcoins. So every time you found a block, oh, 50 Bitcoins. And then after 200,000 blocks, it was halved to 25 Bitcoins. And after 200,000 blocks, it was halved again to 12 and a half Bitcoins. And now that they are at block, what block are they at now? Well, they're in the 700,000, so about to get another halving. So now it's six and a quarter Bitcoins, and then it will be three and an eighth, and so on. So that, that is the block subsidy. That is just the bonus for finding the next block. But there are also the transaction fees. So right now, the block subsidy outweighs the transaction fees. The block subsidy is six and a quarter Bitcoins, which at today's rate is worth $300,000. And the transaction fees are maybe half a Bitcoin. But as Bitcoin continues to rise in value, the value proposition for expending energy on mining will not go down because even if you're getting less, you know, fewer Bitcoins, and even if the block subsidy is run out entirely and you're just getting transaction fees, if the value of Bitcoin is, say, 100 billion per Bitcoin, also 100 million per Bitcoin, which would mean if Bitcoin was the entire world economy right now, it would be worth about 100 million per Bitcoin, uh, which means one Satoshi would be $1. So even if the block subsidy was totally exhausted, people are still, there's still those transaction fees, and those are enough juice. That juice is worth the squeeze of plugging in your miner and uh, heating up your hot tub. And you get the free heat too. Yeah. If you live in Canada, that's a bonus. If you live in Ecuador, uh, perhaps not so much. So when the government comes out uh, with questions like Suzanne's asking here, uh, you know, during the trucker thing, they tried to track down some cryptocurrencies and stuff. Uh, what happens, you know, obviously with yourself, you got the good secrecy taken care of, but say if you weren't so careful, you didn't have your Groucho Marx mask on, uh, does the government have the power to compel Bitcoin or any of these other currencies to actually give up addresses and names if they have them? Well, the government has power to compel an exchange, right? Because an exchange where people are storing their Bitcoins because they don't understand that Bitcoins are massless and they don't take up any space, so you can store them yourselves just as good as anyone else. It's not like gold. Where people are storing their Bitcoins on the exchange, yeah, sure, the exchange, yeah, they can you know, knock, knock, who's there? Gestapo, Gestapo who? We ask the questions. You know, they can, Yeah, they can compel... <laughs> Yeah, they'll give up the addresses. They'll do whatever they need to do. But if you if you observe good operational security, that won't be a problem for you. Okay, don't use those centralized exchanges. And even if, okay, so even if you compromise your operational security and you've got this thing, a Canadian Pepper podcast, uh, send a Bitcoin to this address uh, to help keep the backup generator fueled and all that, all that good stuff. And so they know your address your Bitcoin address. They know that address is, and then they decide, oh, you know what, Canadian Pepper Pocket, the bad guys, the, the, the ginger supremacists, and they're just really, you know, they, they've got those scary black guns and, and they're just the worst. So even if they do that, now they know your address. What can they do? Well, they can try to compel people not to transact with you. So they can say, well, you're on Bitcoin naughty list. This address, anybody who takes Bitcoin from this address is a bad, bad person. 
Okay, they can say that. And maybe you won't be able to use your bitcoins in that address to pay for taxes or to renew your driver's license or something. And they can even, they'll even, I mean, the, the blockchain is completely open. So they can say, okay, you've got 10,000 bitcoins at this address and you're going to, and now you moved all of them to this other address. Well, they'll know that's you too. Okay. So there is Bitcoin blacklists already. I mean, these, uh, the we hunted the mammoth people and the people who are, who are trying to dox people from right wing protests or whatever. Those people, yeah, they've got, oh, this is the Bitcoin blacklist of white supremacists. And this is the, the, the all the bad guys are on this blacklist. And if anybody uses it from here, uh, don't accept it. Okay. G agreed. Well, you don't have to agree. Okay. Now, of course, their strategy is that the way to clean those Bitcoins, to launder them, is to uh, have the government confiscate them. And then, well, then they're going to take it off the blacklist, right? So once the government kicks in your door and takes your Bitcoins, then they announce to everybody, okay, the, the address uh, 12345X7X, you know, silent number three, that address is no longer bad because we have taken it and now we're going to spend it on whatever. They're going to try some shenanigans like that, but they, they don't have the power to compel you not to accept Bitcoins. And that's what matters. Okay, so even if, I mean, you could have Bitcoins, Adolf Hitler could have a Bitcoin address in his own name. Okay, now I don't think I would personally accept Bitcoins from Adolf Hitler, but there's nothing inherent in the Bitcoin, in the blockchain protocol to stop anyone from accepting them. And of course, you can accept them pseudonymously, which means you can find a way. I mean, they'll see that they went somewhere, but they cannot, unless they can associate that address with you, there's no, you know, the, the power of compulsion is taken out of their hands. And that is the value, the main value of proposition for cryptocurrencies is that it takes that power of compulsion. Now it will, of course, you hear, oh, Bitcoin is used by drug dealers and it's used by terrorists and it's used by, by truckers. I mean, that Brad guy, he's a trucker. He's got Bitcoins and it's going into his diesel tank and it's going to explode everywhere. Uh, of course, yeah, people will scare you with that. Um, I'll see you one drug dealer and five terrorists and I'll raise you a military industrial complex run on debt. Okay. So yeah, you're, you're going to have to do better than that. I mean, it's, it's fear mongering of the worst order and, uh, they, they won't succeed. Okay. If you observe good operational security, you have no trouble at all, uh, keeping your coins where you want them and putting them where you want them and not letting anyone else tell you where you have to put them. Seems fair. And there, Scott, there is no Mr. Bitcoin for the government to, to, to knock on the door. I, Mr. Bitcoin, monopoly guy with the monocle and the bowler hat and the cane. Are oh, you have to, okay, this guy's bad and this guy's good. There's, there's nothing like that. There is no central authority. Now, you may have heard that with the, um, the hack. Uh, there was a hack last year and, um, they, they stole a bunch of some power company, a pipeline or something. And, a ransomware attack and then they got a bunch of bitcoin and then they the fbi tracked them down or the nsa or cia i don't know well some alphabet people tracked down the bad guys of course that's possible but they didn't do so by compromising the blockchain they did so by using good human intelligence and signals intelligence and analyzing where the off-ramps and on-ramps were coming from okay so those people those hackers they practice poor operational security and so I'm glad they got caught. 
Uh, they were bad guys to begin with, but that does not mean that the FBI can snoop and find where you live because you use Bitcoin sometime. Yeah, from what I understand, they had their password basically written on a post-it note beside the computer by the time they found out where they were, so that was a problem. Yeah, they need to watch more spy movies. (laughs) (laughs) Scott, you had some questions too, right? Yeah, so we've discussed wallets and wallet apps. Um, One of the questions that comes up is talking about uh, cold versus hot storage. Uh, but looking at newbies, how should they be dividing up their holdings? I mean, you don't want to have, you know, you have 50 Bitcoins. I'm assuming you don't want them all in one printed piece of paper. Well, you can print as many copies of that paper as you like. So if you do want to have them completely in cold storage, you can print it, you can tattoo it on the bottom of your foot. You can. There's all sorts of great places you could put that QR code of the private key. Okay, uh, just, just to go over real quick, the private key is the code that allows you to spend it. The public key is the code that allows you to receive it, and it's also the code that allows people to see what transactions have been posted to that address. But yeah, you can keep your private keys. Um, you can, I mean, to look at Ian's background, the, there was sort of a fad of, of minting silver coins with uh, a Bitcoin private key. Uh, behind a piece of foil or something, um, back when Bitcoin was, you know, with twenty dollars, it, it was a bit of a fad. It's kind of cool, you know. You can keep your private keys there, but if you, if your concern is that you're going to lose it and you're sort of a, you you live a lifestyle where you lose papers all the time, well then, I don't know. Put it in the safety deposit box at the bank or something. Okay, that you can you can get your grandmother to hold on to it for you. Uh, put it in your fire safe. You could put it. Every, I've got, I've got my private keys in my cold storage Bitcoin assets all over the place. Uh, you can create your own encryption algorithm so that nobody knows what they're looking at. Now, there's all sorts of things you can do, but I would not recommend that you take advantage of an exchange. So oh, we'll keep it safe and sound for you, mate, because they will keep it, and if the government asks for it, they will give it up. Or if they disappear overnight, your money's gone. Yeah, Mount Gox did that. Um, there was uh, there was some Bitcoin ATMs, some guy running a Bitcoin ATM here in Canada who did that. Yeah, yep. people can abscond with it. There's all sorts of shenanigans people can pull. So the whole point of this cryptocurrency is that you are your own banker and you're just as good at holding these keys as anyone else. Now, they did not take a course in holding your keys for you. Okay, they uh, they don't have a PhD in uh, keeping track of your money. Um, you're just as capable of doing it as anyone else. So, uh, what are some of the pitfalls that newbies should be aware of? And are there any good resources, uh, you know, for newbies to learn right from zero? Well, the the white paper, it's eight pages. Um, even if you're not particularly computer literate, there are some concepts in there that are worth reading. And who knows, maybe you're more more mathematical than you thought. So the white papers is a good place to start. Anybody who says he's giving you free Bitcoins, don't believe them. Uh, I remember a few years ago, uh, Ian Musk, 
his uh, his twit Twitter or was it Facebook? I don't know. Something was hacked, and they put oh send me three bit uh, send me Bitcoin to this address and I'll double it. And of course, that was just the hacker's address, and <laughs> a lot of people are oh, in Moscow. Of course, Mr. Tesla himself. So um, it did not work out for those people very well. So if anyone says they're giving you free Bitcoin, don't believe them. If anyone says, oh, give me three Bitcoin now and I'll give you six Bitcoin later, don't believe them. Okay, there are lots of scams. Uh, if someone phones you saying, oh, you pay your taxes in Bitcoin in an Indian accent, don't believe them. Okay, but these are scams that are prevalent with other coins. The things to really watch out for is to make sure that you're running your wallet software or your hardware wallets um, in a resilient fashion. So you want to make sure you've got backups. So in the wallet software that I'm going to uh, tutorialize uh, in a bit, it insists that you have a backup. And that way you don't, um, you don't lose your funds. And uh, the audience can follow along. We'll, you know, we could do that now, actually. And this will get most beginners over the hurdles. Everybody here have a mobile phone. I believe so. Okay. Yippers. Okay, this is going to be lots of fun. This is like interactive interactive podcast time. Okay? If you're driving, don't do this. Okay? <laughs> you're running heavy equipment, don't do this. Okay, so you do it later. Now they can always go back to... This is 121 and 30 seconds in the podcast. You can come back to it later. Okay, so you go to the App Store, the Google Play Store, the whatever store you've got. Okay? And there's some sort of a search function. So search for an app called G-U-A-R-D-A. -A. Now probably in the heavily regulated environment of an app store, it will not show you that app first. It'll be some stupid investment app. But you might have to scroll down to find something called Garda Crypto Wallet. Okay, it looks like a blue shield. Okay, so go ahead and download it. Some of us have much slower internet connections than others. Oh no, you're not getting a good smoke signal. Okay. <laughs> so I'll I'll just play along later. Okay, you just play along. That's right. Just just hold on to a deck of cards or something. Okay, so you download Garda Wallet. Okay, we could have chosen another one. I'm not. I'm not selling you Garda Wallet or anything. I, it will not hurt my feelings in the least if you don't use it. So you download Garda Wallet and then you open. Now, what's the first thing you see? Does it say I need your name, last name, first name, social insurance number, driver's license? No, it doesn't say anything. It just says create, create new wallet or restore. Create new wallet. That's right. See, Jeff, he's 144 years old and he's at the cutting edge of decentralized finance technology. And I am the least techie of anybody in this room. So Perfect. And I do this all the time. I do this with people who barely speak English. Uh, people, Farmers and craftsmen and people at the farmers markets and flea markets all the time. They're up and running in three minutes. So, Jeff, you created new wallet, yeah? I am just doing that right now. I'm just putting the passwords in. That's right. Now, don't forget this password. There's no one to call. 
Okay, yeah. don't call me. You don't call God a wallet. You don't call uh, Steve Jobs or anyone. And don't put too much money on this one. Okay, I don't. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much you trust your phone. I don't trust mine in the least. I hardly have any on you. But um, I mean, Apple says that they respect your privacy. Google, I think they don't even pretend. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't bother putting much money on this one. So you created new wallets. You put in a password. Eric, what's your password? <laughs> nice try. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. How'd you know? Perfect. Yeah. That's the same as my luggage. Yeah. yeah <laughs> okay. So, and it doesn't, I mean, you could use one, two, three, four here. You can always create a new one later. Okay. So you put in a password. Now it's going to come up a screen. It says no backup, no, no funds. Have you got to that screen? Yep. Yep. Okay, so now you're going to say, okay, download backup file. You email it to yourself. Now, this file is an encrypted file that contains all of your wallet keys, but it is encrypted by the password that you chose earlier. So you're going to have to load it up into another instance of Garda Wallet on another device to retrieve those funds, but you will not be able to open it without the password. So you email it to yourself? Uh, That's right. Said, right. Okay. Okay, Eric, I you have a total balance of zero dollars. Yes. Now that's zero US dollars. Okay, so if you want it to be zero Canadian dollars, there's a settings and you can change your local currency to Canadian dollars. And so you go through and you go, oh, I've got zero Ethereum and I've got zero Bitcoin and zero Bitcoin Cash and zero Litecoin and all these zeros. And you can even import new wallets that are zeros. You can create new wallets. You can make as many new wallets as you want. Okay, then all have zero. And if you click on one of those wallets, you'll be able to see the wallet address. Okay, it shows you a QR code. Sorry, where do I do that? Let's see. So if you're just and now remember when you you're not logging into something you're not signing into something this is just running on your phone and it's interacting directly with the blockchain so you're not on garda.com so you see all your wallets the top one might start with an a so if you click on that or you press on that it says wallet address okay um and it's so the, so mine says zero balance and then it's got a little search window, and then it's got a bunch of names and stuff underneath it. That's right. So right. just go on the first name. What's the first okay. name it's got? And just click it? Yeah. It's a, what's the first name? Cardano? Yes, actually. Okay, so click on Cardano. And now it says you've got zero ADA, which is worth zero Canadian, and it's gone up by 1.33 in the last 24 hours. And it's, at the bottom, it says wallet address. Yeah. Okay. That's your wallet address. Um, You've got three no, options. Oh, I've got. I, what am I missing here? Because I've got request exchange. Oh, you're at the very bottom. So, if you clicked on Cardano. Yep. Okay, and it says info history yep. analytics. Yep. Right. So on wallet. You've got three options where it says wallet address. There's one that's copy and paste. And it will copy your address to the clipboard. There's one that's share. 
So do you text this address to someone? And on the far right, I love the far right, there's one that shows uh, it will bring up a QR code onto your screen. Okay. You see yep. it? Yeah. So click it. Now you've got the QR code. You go ahead and flash your QR code to the camera so everyone knows how to send you money. Oh, okay. Oh, well, in that case, hmm. there's yeah. this Nigerian prince I know. Yeah. <laughs> the a Nigerian prince or the Nigerian prince? There's more than one? So that's how you basically get paid. And then... Uh, that's right. Sorry. So if you want to go do a basement renovation for someone, do some drywall work, you say, yeah, here's my address. Send me your Cardano or Bitcoin, whatever it is. Now, don't ever make sure you've got the right crypto. So don't get him to try to send Bitcoin to a Cardano address or Cardano to a Bitcoin address or something. It won't work. So now you, Jeff, at the ripe old age of 244, are just as capable. <laughs> you have just as much access to the blockchain as anyone who's running a big fancy exchange in Silicon Valley. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Oh, so, so that's how we send Scott some money. Perfect. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, I pay for itself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now, with respect to operational security, I don't trust the Apple spy phone or the Google phone at all. I recommend ghost phones running Calyx OS or something. But for little bits of money here and there, it's not, uh, it's not a big deal. So now you so, guys can take, you accept crypto. Look at you, Jeff. You, you're, you can take Bitcoin, Litecoin, Cardano, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Satoshi's Vision, Bitcoin ABC, you can take Dogecoin, and about 400 others. So these these wallets, I guess, that are down below, like the Cardano you mentioned, and there's Bitcoin Cash and, and all that, those, those, those would be, so when I, I clicked on them and brought up that QR code, that's where somebody could send me money and it would show up in that Cardano account, right? That's right. It's not... That's, that's right, but you don't want to think of it as an account, okay? Because when you say account, it's like, well, this is an account I've got somewhere with someone, right? I have to go see a teller and flirt with her and get her, you know, get her to give me my own money. No, you are your own banker. Right, so, so you, you, what I guess I should have said is send it to my wallet. Perfect. Do I pass? Flying colors. <laughs> Something tells me this is crypto episode one, but <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure we're doing crypto 2.0 for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I just want to go a quick uh, sort of preview of uh, crypto mm -hmm. 2.0. Okay? Sure. Um, blockchain. Okay. Now, Eric, I happen to know that you're Victor Echo Three Echo Papa November. That would be my ham radio ID, yep. That's right. And now who, why do you get that one? What if I say, no, 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 I am Victor Echo 3, etc. Um, who says that that's yours? Uh, the government of Canada would say that Industry right Canada's website, yep. right? And so somewhere in a moldy basement, there's in a locked filing cabinet, <laughs> there's some sort of a certificate mm -hmm. and somebody very official 
with the royal something in the title they've got there. Oh, this is this is this guy. Okay. Yep. Now, what if that burns down? Maybe they've got enough site backup. So, who says hope. that, Ian? You, who says you own your house? Well, if I owned it, <laughs> it, it, would, it would be the uh, the government, of course, because the, uh, the the title holder is actually originally a railway, and then it goes on to the bank, then me. Right. Okay. So, yeah, there, there's some complicated thing, but somewhere in Victoria or in Ottawa or so, national, I don't know, somewhere there's a locked filing cabinet, and maybe there's some offsite backup. So, if that got nuked tomorrow, the only way that you'd be able to prove that that's your place is by um, repulsing invaders. 100%. Yes. Now, so generally in Canada, it's pretty stable. This stuff works pretty well. You know, the industry Canada has probably got some new stupid long name like Industry Sustainability and Development and Inclusion and Diversity Canada says that, yeah, that's your call sign, that's your house, and that is your car, right? Your car with your VIN number that belongs to you. But there are places in the world where title, okay, that we're talking about title, right? This is your title to that call sign is you got land title, you have title to a vehicle. There are places in the world where title is much less solid, much more tenuous. You can imagine if you're in a war-torn place in uh, my third least favorite continent and um, you have to flee your home, okay? So you've got your documents. It says the royal something, something. This is my place from year to year. And you have to flee your home. And you take your documents and you take your family portrait and you take your golden whatever. Now, years later, you come back and there's someone else living there. And you say, oh, this is my home. You've got to get to leave. And they say, we are the captain now. Okay. They say, no, I don't recognize this. this uh, the change of government, the authority with the revolutionary, whatever, whatever, whatever of such and such. Okay, so you're out of luck. Now, in the case of blockchain, now there's another problem, Ian, before we get onto blockchain. Eric, if you get outed as a ginger supremacist, Industry Canada might just decide that now you don't get that call sign anymore. Your new call sign is uh, Victor Echo 3, uh, Echo Papa November, Bravo Bravo, and Bravo Bravo stands for bad boy. And there's nothing you can do about it. And Ian, you know, the government does not like the way you did not uh, microchip one of your chickens. So they're going to confiscate your, they're going to change the land title into their name. And Jeff, your car was seen at a protest. So they're going to change the title there too. Okay. They, there's nothing you can do to stop them except to resist them. I swear them. there were no cameras around that protest. I swear. Eyewitness accounts. I don't know, motivated social justice warriors taking pictures, who knows? Okay, so even in a stable situation, there are problems with the centralized entitlements or centralized title authority. So blockchain is an alternative to that system whereby it's completely decentralized and you can't cheat. So Eric, if your call sign was on a blockchain, and the only way for you to lose it would be for you to not log in for 20 consecutive years, then I think you'd have a bet, uh, a stronger claim on it than the government, uh, than Industry Canada. Now, it might be that people think this blockchain thing is stupid, right? But if more people start to recognize it, then Industry Canada's website becomes a stupid one. Right, it becomes people dressing up as wizards and uh, and uh, people playing SCA 
claiming to be the Lord and Lady of such and such. It becomes an anachronistic sort of sort of uh, game costumes they're wearing, much in the same way that nobody invokes the Queen's authority for you know the title of their house. They don't. It, it's just a figurehead. They just deal with Victoria or Ottawa. People could cut out the middleman entirely and deal entirely with blockchain. Now, of course, there are problems. What if you die intestate and your property is sort of stuck on the blockchain? There are ways of dealing with that as well, whereby you could a blockchain rules for titles for cars because you have to name five successors, and if they all die, well, then that car is cursed. And real estate could be the same way. You have to name 10 successors. And if they all die, well, that place better be turned into a national park because it too has some bad juju. But blockchain will be the future of how property entitlements are recognized. This is already starting in places where property is tenuous. It's starting in India, where small holdings of farms are being blockchained or placed on the blockchain because the local authorities don't have a real good handle on who owns what and who they've sold it to. And the same thing can be placed with every piece of equipment um, that's worth anything, right up to the biggest land holding in the world. So that's one part of the future of blockchain. Now, you maybe have anybody here heard the word smart contract? Uh, nobody looks it, like yep. Nathan has. <laughs> right, Nathan, smart. Oh, oh, you beat me to it. Okay, so smart contracts. So Ethereum uh, was was one of the first set up with smart contracts, a self-executing contracts. When a certain thing occurs, then the funds are released. And so now we're going to get back into metaphorical space. You know, a wizard. Gandalf or something and he puts a he casts a spell okay he says when Eric uh, does his 1000th push up he becomes uh, he gets 5 pounds of gold okay if the wizard dies it still happens he has sort of instantiated a new law of physics it doesn't send around a clerk to keep track of how many push-ups you've done. It's just sort of the universe is watching you, okay? That's what smart contracts allow everyone to do, okay? You can instantiate a new rule, a new law of physics, a new law of financial physics. And so this might sound pretty airy-fairy, woo-woo stuff right now, but eventually pretty much every bit of business worth doing will be done with a smart contract. The logistics industry can be completely disrupted. All of these industries that have been disrupted by a totally centralized Silicon Valley billionaire, like taxi cabs are now, Uber is the new lord, and everyone who works for them is sort of sharecropping for their time and making a pittance. Well, Uber can be accomplished completely on a blockchain, completely decentralized, and people keep all of their money. There are darker possibilities. Jim Bell, an American, he proposed a concept, and again, this is for entertainment purposes only, by which people could uh, put money towards, or they could vote for someone to 
or stop breathing. It's called assassination politics. And there was a project uh, on a blockchain a few years ago called Augur, which proposed to do very much the same thing. It's a prediction market, and you can predict whatever you want. So whoever predicts most accurately, and what's the best way to predict when someone's going to bite it most accurately, is feed it to them, them yourself. So essentially, the entire world can be transformed with decentralized autonomous organizations and blockchain. And if you're not taking the time now to learn about it, in the most basic sense, with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, you're not learning how to read. Okay, this is those language, speech, writing, the printing press, broadcasting, you know, information technology. Blockchain is on that category with respect to how it's going to transform the way people interact. And so... I think we're going to leave it there. If you've got any further questions, I'm happy to answer. But um, we're at the beginning of this. So with respect to investment advice, Bitcoin at any price, baby. HODL. Because uh, you haven't seen nothing yet. Okay? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're 12 years into this. Or 14 years into this, more or less. Okay? When you're 14 years into the automobile, we're still dealing with the Model T. Okay, so... You're still at the ground floor opportunity. Yeah. For those fair. who don't know HODL, it's hold on for dear life. Hold on for dear life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to have to bring you back again to talk about this some more. Absolutely. Sure a thousand questions coming in, probably from mostly from the hosts, too. There's lots of, lots of drink from the fire hose on this one. Yep. Well, that's some fantastic uh, information to get people started and get people thinking about it because it's, it's something in the uh, the prepper community we're definitely have to pay a little bit more close attention to i think for a long time it's been kind of poo-pooed i guess is the best way to put it where you know everybody's focusing on the the whole end of the world scenario where yeah if all the computers blow up like you said it's it's not going to work but sharpen your stick there's all kinds of yep at that point we're sharpening sticks um, yeah being associated with a group that the government decides they don't like like you know podcasters or something and then all of a sudden deciding that you know we can't do any financial transactions like what happened you know to the organizers of the truckers and stuff and had all their accounts seized and stuff. And yeah, it's definitely something to think about. So I think we should move into the podcast challenge with that. So a sharpen a stick, but B more importantly, <laughs> download a free app to hold crypto. If only to facilitate a payment, if needed, uh, if you want to rewind to about one hour, 21 minutes, <laughs> guy gives an excellent tutorial that even managed to get uh, the bunch of, Neanderthals through the process. So, uh, anyway, if you want to go on YouTube for a test, feel free to send my wallet some Bitcoin and back go. it up. You don't have a sharp stick. <laughs> I Scott, was was that your Bitcoin wallet, or was that ask. another crypto? You got to make sure that it's the right one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that that is my brand new zero balance Bitcoin wallet. So feel free to put as many Bitcoin in as you like. There we go. All right. Do we have some upcoming events? Yeah. So uh, Maple Seeds are back online. Uh, the well, the website is mapleseedrifleman.com slash events. But uh, across the country, they're starting to do Maple Seed events. Get some basic mar- marksmanship training under your belt. Uh, should be starting here by next month and proceeding across the country. I know for a fact they're coming to the island as uh, as well as the East Coast. So pretty much anywhere in Canada. Um, also, the Residual March is coming up May 26th to 29th, which is the Finnish 
military reserve march that's done online, basically by the Strava app more than anything else. It's uh, residual four day march dot fi, and uh, click on English, make your life easier, and uh, <laughs> you can basically sign up for that, get some uh, cheap swag that shows you uh, participated in that, and it's a good excuse to uh, get about ten k a day in for hiking. So yeah, check it out. Nice. And as we've been saying for the last couple of episodes, uh, the annual Preppers Meet is still a go, uh, being held in Desborough, Ontario, uh, July the 7th to the 10th. So check out uh, annualpreppersmeet.com for uh, information and tickets and all that uh, fun stuff. But uh, like we've said before, it's a, a good time to, to get together with like-minded individuals, sit around the campfire with uh, what Che, the organizer, likes to call some apple juice, and just chat. Until the week. Uh, believe it or not, ammo is on sale in Canada. So, Come on. Yeah, seriously. Uh, so now, I guess this is one of those things where, depending on what happens with uh, Russia, Ukraine, and you know other bad state actors that might get involved, Chinese surplus, 762 by 39 on Cabela's uh, for $399 for 1500 which is about the prices they were about five years ago. So, yeah, grab onto mm. that one if you can. The link's in the show notes. Uh, it is corrosive and steel case and steel projectile, so if some ranges don't allow that, but, you know, go ahead and pick it up if you can. All right. We'll move into shout outs. So I'll just throw a quick shout out to Guy for uh, coming out this evening and educating us all on crypto. It's uh, like Ian said, it's been like drinking from the fire hose, which I kind of suspected was how this episode was going to go, but it's been a ton of really, really good information. So I appreciate you taking some time and uh, just sharing your knowledge with everybody. Well, there's only there's only 21 million spots in heaven, so I've got to to witness to as many people as I can. Fair enough. <laughs> now we've heard the good words, so it's all good, right? Oh boy. <laughs> well, we're definitely going to get to come back and do crypto 2.0 with us. Uh, with I'd that, happy, I'd be I, absolutely happy to. I've got you know mining um, ways of doing uh, anonymizing transactions swapping i don't really get into the trading bit that's uh that's not really my wheelhouse i'm happy to show you people how to do it but as far as you know, oh you got to buy the dip and and sell the candle and all this sort of stuff you know the day trading stuff i don't have that sort of personality i like to yep. you know it's not my jam but uh mining and how to uh how to store it um how to heat your house with it heat your hot tub with it um i'd be happy to teach anyone how to do that pretty sure that's up uh at least the panel's alley and most likely a bunch of the listeners as well so we look forward to having you back here here with that i will bring episode number 157 of the canadian prepper podcast to an end you can find the podcast on itunes podbean spotify or of course your favorite podcast app uh, please help us out submit a review maybe some bitcoin to scott's wallet uh, it does help other people find us and we do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we're going live. Uh, if you want to reach me, you can uh, just uh, send it to feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. I might get it to Jeff. I don't know. Uh, Scott I is seen any yet, so I doubt it. <laughs> Uh, Scott is easiest to reach at Bitcoin Wallet, uh, one capital E, capital Y, capital E. Oh, come on now. <laughs> or feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Well played, sir. Well played. Uh, 
And guys, is there any contact information you'd like to share or do you want to use uh, the feedback uh, address as well? Uh, sure, I can be reached at svobodnik at protonmail.com. That's uh, Sierra, Victor, Oscar, Brava, Oscar, Delta, November, India, Kilo at protonmail.com for any blockchain questions. Awesome. Cool. Uh, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandrefeat at gmail.com. You can also find me on Canadian Patriot Podcast uh, occasionally on iTunes and YouTube, <laughs> recording Monday evenings at 8. 30 p.m. Eastern now, uh, earlier time than normal. I'm also the Discord chat for both CPPs, so even us, if you want an invite to the Discord group, uh, up to about 150, I think, per podcast. Uh, there you can find us discussing why government waste in society has me buying crypto for cash, allegedly, starting right after this episode. <laughs> and uh, check out Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com. You can get me there on the live chat, uh, potentially while buying some prepper gear with crypto. I might have to switch that around now. Uh, you can also get me at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, so thanks for joining us this evening. Until next time, uh, be prepared, stay safe. And keep learning. Bye.